It's great to be here with you this morning. If, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, today. Uh, sorry, in, in verse 10, we'll, we'll stand and read uh, the word of the Lord in a second here. Um, but I just wanted to uh, start off our time um, by actually going to an example from the Old Testament that I think is going to help us shape and understand the passage that we're in uh, today. So uh, if, if you can think of a time when you did not have enough information to fully understand the situation you were in. Maybe you were younger, maybe uh, it happened yesterday, uh, maybe um, it, it's something that was important, maybe it was something that was unimportant, but you just didn't have enough information to know uh, what to do. You didn't have enough information to see everything as it was. Uh, you were so focused on a certain set of facts that your eyes were almost blinded to other sets of facts that could have totally changed the way that you were thinking about your situation. And so uh, that, I, I bring that up because it happens often. We live in a world where we don't have all the knowledge, whether it's at work or in a relationship or uh, in sports, right? I mean, everything that comes at us, we only have a limited amount of knowledge, and if only we had a little bit more, maybe it would change the way that we're viewing our situation. Now, in in the history of Israel, there is an example just like this, where uh, Elisha, he's a prophet, and and he um, he is helping the king of Israel evade capture by the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria and the king of Israel at war with each other, and um, he's setting up ambushes all over Israel to try to capture the king. He's putting his army here. He's putting his army there. And Elisha, the man of God, what he does is he, he receives the word from the Lord that the king of uh, Syria is in such and such a place. And so he sends a messenger to the king of Israel, and the king av- avoids the ambush. He avoids it. He, he, he gets out of the way. And the king of Syria is so mad at Elisha. He, he thinks Elisha has an inside man inside his inner circle, and so he, he's set in his heart to go out and kill Elisha. Just, just a regular dude, just like you and me, um, doesn't have an army with him, doesn't have soldiers in his back pocket who's keeping him safe, and he's in this small town of, of Dothan. And one night he goes to bed, and the next morning his servant wakes up, climbs up on the, the wall or the parapet or whatever, and he looks at it and he sees this huge massive horde of Syrians. They have horses, they have chariots, they have armies, and, and the, the servant is terrified. Uh, it's Second Kings 6.15, he says, he, he goes and tells his master, he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? He is, he is absolutely terrified by this massive army that is there to kill his master, and they'll probably kill everybody else, else there who's, who's harboring uh, Elisha. And, but Elisha turns to his, uh, his servant, and he, and he looks at him, and he says, uh, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so Elisha sees some true facts. Some, he has some knowledge of the way that things are that his servant just didn't have. And so he's not afraid like his servant is afraid. He's not concerned that he's going to be destroyed like his servant is concerned that he's going to be destroyed because he has insight. 
He has knowledge. He has uh, a, a sight that sees things as they truly are. And so then he prays that his servant would see the same way. And what happens is his servant's eyes are opened, and his servant sees in all of the hills around him this massive host, this angelic army that is there to fight for Elisha. And, and what ends up happening is this angelic army, they come and they blind the whole army of the Assyrians. And then Elisha goes out and says, hey, Elisha's not here. Come with me. And he leads the whole army in, into Samaria, which is the, the capital city. And, and the king of Israel is able to capture the entire army of the Syrians. And so all, all that to say, the point of this story is that there are realities in our world that, that simply escape our notice And if we saw them, if we only saw them, we would totally change uh, the way that we're interacting with the world. There is something so true going on that that it would change the way that we feel about our situation. It It would change the way that we think about our situation. It would change the objectives and the dreams that we have in our life if we saw these things. And our way of seeing and knowing would produce a better picture of reality. Because that servant, he thought he saw things the way that they were. He thought he understood what was going on, but he did not. And so uh, our text today, I hope, will be for us one of those eye-opening moments. where, Where we will interact with a word from the Lord. Something that God has written down on our behalf and given to us to change the way that we see our world, that it would it shift the way that we uh, look at the world emotionally and mentally. It would change our objectives and our dreams for our lives. And that as we submit our hearts to this text, the word of God would make this shift happen in each and every one of us. That our eyes would be opened and we would see more fully and more accurately the way things are. So if you would go ahead and stand with me, uh, we will be reading Ephesians, not Isaiah, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 through the end of the chapter. It begins, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am doing, how I am and what I am doing, uh, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything." 
I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can have a seat and let's pray. Lord, I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be open and that uh, the reality of your word, the truth that you have for us would, would change our hearts, that it would change uh, the way that we interact with our world and that it would uh, propel us uh, more and more into the image uh, of your beloved son, Jesus, that we would be like him, that we would know him more, that we would sing his praises without ceasing, that his beauty would captivate our hearts, and that we would proclaim his name from our homes to all peoples of the earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're, we're going to divide this last section that I read, uh, 6 through uh, 24, into two uh, distinct sermons. So we're only getting half of it today. Um, so definitely come back next week because uh, we're only going to be able to talk about so much. And to get the full picture, uh, we need to talk about more. Um, but the first section that we're going to talk about today is just verses 10 through 12. And there's going to be four controlling questions that help shape our time together this morning. Uh, the first is, who are we? Who, what does this text say about who we are um, and what our role is in, in the world? Uh, number, uh, sorry, the first one is where are we? Where are we? The second one is who are we? Uh, the third is what do we face? And then the, the fourth is so what? Why does this matter? Um, what's going on here? So uh, where are we? Um, so in, in those first three verses of, of 10 through 24, uh, we get a picture, we, we, we get set in a setting by, by Paul that I think is crucial for us to see and to understand. Uh, where are we is the answer is that we are in a battlefield. Uh, we are in a battlefield. Uh, just look at the language of the text with me in verse 10, right? It says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 12 says, for uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, implying that for we wrestle if you if you cut out the, the negative words there, we wrestle. Words like strength and armor and, and wrestling indicate combat, uh, where an individual, or in this case, also a group of individuals are engaged in life or death struggle that requires sufficient strength, proper equipment um, to achieve success. And, and if you think about that, what, what is the word that we use in the English language that describes such a situation where you're in a, a struggle, life or death, and you need proper equipment to, to carry out that fight? Uh, where those fights happen is called a battlefield. So, so that's sort of the, the premise here. And, and now we're going to look th through it at strength, armor, and wrestling and see how those do in fact set us in a battlefield location. So let's consider strength for a second. And when, when, you have, when you consider strength, when you think about what's strong and, and courageous, when you think about power and might, my mind always goes to Joshua. Always. Um, because as a young boy, he was like so cool, Right? Uh, he goes in, he, he makes war, um, he's a, a hero, uh, he's one of the people who doesn't reject God's will when they show up the first time, Is like, no, we can do it. Kim and Caleb, they had it right, 
and nobody listened to him, and then it was bad, and then he comes back and he fulfills the mission that God had given to him. And so I think of Joshua, and, and Joshua means Yahweh saves. If you um, uh, know Greek at all, um, his name is Jesus, uh, and if you guys know uh, English at all, that gets written as the word Jesus. And so Joshua, his name is Jesus in Greek, um, and Jesus' name is Joshua in Hebrew. So that's just really cool as well. Um, so, so Joshua, a.k.a. Jesus, if he was a rapper, um, <laughs> it's the very beginning of Joshua 1, and it says, Joshua 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, Joshua, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, not, he was the son of somebody, right? Not Nun. Um, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> Moses' assistant, uh, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan that you, uh, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving them uh, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. That's uh, Joshua 1, 1 through 3. Now, uh, you have to remember that this land is already occupied by someone. Um, there are people living in the land. They are not just going to give up their homes and their fields and their crops and all that they've worked so hard for and their parents have worked so hard for and their ancestors have worked so hard for to this band of marauding Jews who have left uh, captivity in Egypt and wandered in a wilderness for 40 years and had just defeated kingdoms uh, east of the Jordan River, defeated them mightily and handily. They will not just give these things up. And so as Joshua enters the promised land, he will fight at Jericho and I and Gibeon and Makeda and Libna and Lachish and Eglon and Hebron and Debir and Meron and Hazor. And he will fight battle after battle after battle with the inhabitants of the land. But God has promised that every place that the sole of his foot will tread, he will have. Joshua is a warrior. He is a soldier. And so in verse 4, it says, from the wilderness, God, God tells him how much land he has. From, from the wilderness... Uh, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So ge geographically, that's the, the promised land all the way um, to the Euphrates River, uh, which, which also is, is sort of what Solomon's uh, kingdom represents if you uh, continue reading the history of Israel. Uh, verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Um, can you think of another time in the scriptures where a similar promise was made? Maybe a promise to you, maybe by uh, someone named Jesus in, in Matthew 28, 20, where, where he will not leave you and he will not forsake you and he will be with you even to the end of the age. Uh, taking up in, in verse 6 here in Joshua, be strong and courageous for you. Now remember, he's talking to Jesus. I mean Joshua. He's talking to Joshua here. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very 
courageous, be strong and very These are the same words in the, in the Greek, in the Greek version of this passage that are, are used in our passage today where it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Only be strong and be very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law uh, uh, all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So strength is the way of the warrior. Strength is the, the uh, topic of the soldier. Strength gives one the capabilities to accomplish great feats. Even all things, like Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, this strength is a rescuing, proclaiming, powerful strength that as 2 Timothy 4.17 shows us. Uh, writing to Timothy, Paul says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Again, this idea of being strengthened by the Lord. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. It should not escape our notice that the lion is also a symbol for, uh, for Satan. First Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And since here in our passage as well, we have a connection with this demonic uh, uh, antagonist. And, and we have this strength to uh, need for strength to fight him. It is the Lord's strength we need, not generic man's strength, right? You don't need to just be stronger. You need the Lord's strength. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Because we, our opponent, we have an opponent who is demonic, Satan and his demons, and he presides over this present darkness. And so we are in a battlefield because strength is required. But we should also see that we're in a battlefield because we're wearing armor, right? Uh, verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. Armor is worn by soldiers. You don't have a farmer put on armor to go plow his field. You don't have someone who is going to sit at a computer all day, right, and type at a computer, put on armor because it, he'll get carpal tunnel faster. You just don't do that sort of thing. A soldier wears armor, now, uh, it's also, I think, important for us to just note that armor here, I think everybody, when I say armor, thinks of defensive armor, right? You think of shields and helmets and, and breastplates and greaves and, and boots, um, or you think of bulletproof vests and body armor and riot shields, um, but armor here is, all, anything you would go to the armory to get is armor. So it, it would be modern day, it would be those things, it would be body armor, riot shields, helmets, but also guns. In ancient times, it would be offensive and defensive weapons. It would be swords and javelins and bows and knives um, and shields and breastplates and helmets and all the like. And we'll see that uh, next week as we look at verses uh, 6, 13 and following. And so armor, the context of armor, makes you a soldier, it makes you someone who is in this battlefield, not as a, a passive participant, but as an active member in the fight. You are wearing 
armor. And this, this sort of gets us to who are we? Who are we? The text teaches us that we are soldiers, that we fight, that we are people who are engaged in combat. And, and this is common throughout the New Testament, Philippians 2.25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Paul sees himself as a soldier. He sees his brothers and sisters in Christ as soldiers with him. Philemon 1-2 and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldiers. It's also clear in the New Testament that soldiering comes up so often as an analogy of the Christian life. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 9-17, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so then we should see ourselves, yourself, as a soldier wearing God's armor and doing God's fighting. And we are in a battlefield because we are armored soldiers. The, the last reason that we should see ourselves in a battlefield. So we have, um, we have, we have armor, we need strength. And the, the last one is that uh, we are locked in personal combat. We wrestle. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word wrestling is used. Struggling um, is another way that people translate it. Um, but in, in Thayer's Greek lexicon, it describes how Homer and Plato and Aristotle and Heliodorus uh, use this word to describe a contest where, where two contestants endeavor to, to take each other and throw them on the ground. And, and so the person's like laid out prostrate uh, on their back. And then the, the person who's attacking has his hand on his throat. And then at that time, they'd be like, hey, I give up. But um, not in this case. I, I, I wrestled in high school. I know that's hard to believe. Um, also a little bit in college. And um, it was very, very similar. You don't stick your hand on the throat. That's illegal. Don't do that if you're learning to do it. But you try to take the person and throw them on the ground. And, and it is intensely personal. There's, there's nothing quite like knowing that you, you have this person in front of you and your job is to just beat them up um, and, to, and to, to drive them into the ground and like own their bodies. Like their body is yours and you're going to make it do what you want, which is to get it on a, their back and so you get points for your team. That's wrestling, high school wrestling in a nutshell. Um, that's your whole job. Your whole job is get them on their back. And, and, and it, it is so intensely personal. There's no other sport like it in my view because you are so locked into a single person and you are so close to them um, that I have never in any other contest I've ever participated in um, known my opponent so well. Never. And your body or the body of your opponent in this wrestling, in this wrestling in, in uh, verse 12 here, your body or your opponent's body will be destroyed. 
That's what's going on. When you think of a war and you think of people fighting, there's only two outcomes. You die or they die. And so you are on a battlefield because you are wrestling, you are armored, and strength is required. But the question becomes, who are you facing? Who's your opponent? Who are you engaged in? Uh, Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our opponents are not other human beings. I think that that's very important for us to know, that oftentimes we can think that our enemies, the people who are against us, the people who put obstacles in our past, uh, are human, that they're, they're simply flesh and blood, right? F- flesh and blood is just a, uh, and a uh, what's it called? I was going to say euphemism, but it's not, that's not the right word. That's not the right word. Um, but it it's basically stands in for humans. Uh, um, Matthew 16, 17, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, Hebrews 2, 4, all use this uh, flesh and blood to mean people, other human beings. And our true enemies are not humans. So if, if you are ever in a situation where you are being um, uh, opposed by another human being, there's something going on behind them. There's something maybe even going on above them, right? Where, where they, are, they are lost, they are trapped, they are in darkness, And they are not your true and ultimate enemy. So who is our true and ultimate enemy? Who is out to destroy us? Who wants to end our lives? They are the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, they are the devil and his demons. So the image before you and me is that you are on a battlefield, each and every one of you, on a battlefield. You are armored in an armor uh, that we'll talk about next week, and and you need strength because you personally are locked in combat, high-stakes combat, with rulers, with authorities, with cosmic powers of darkness, of the spiritual forces of evil. You are fighting for your life. And I'd be remiss if I failed to remind that you and, and me that someone before us, someone before us in dignity, in power, in glory, in might, in wisdom, in beauty, and in love, someone before us, the one named Jesus, our Joshua, was also locked in the same combat, the same high stakes combat where either his opponent would be defeated or Jesus would be defeated. And, and the spiritual darkness would win or Jesus, the Lord of light, would win. I mean, look at Luke 11. Luke 11, Jesus is casting out demons as part of his ministry. There's a mute man who's never spoken and Jesus casts out the demon from him and he speaks And Jesus has detractors in the crowd. And they say he's casting out demons by the power of demons. They slander Jesus. And Jesus says, nah, brah. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. He says, I don't cast out demons by Beelzebul. That's Luke 11, 19. 
This is what Jesus says, how he casts out demons. He says, but if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come on you. The kingdom of God. Notice the kingdom change. Not the kingdom of the devil. The kingdom of devil, if it's divided, cannot stand. But I come and the kingdom of God comes to you. So the kingdom of God has come and is coming and will come and is being expressed in the overthrow of Satan's kingdom. It is being expressed by Jesus showing up and the finger of God is there because he is God and the formerly demon-made mute speak. Jesus continues in verse 21 and he says, when a strong Man, remember, we are on a battlefield because we require strength. When a strong man fully armed, we are on a battlefield because we have armored soldiers. So when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace. Now, uh, palace is a fine translation for this word, but I prefer the word temple here. The, The strong man is actually guarding the inner courtyard of a temple. And Jesus is, 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 says when a strong man fully armed guards his own temple, his goods are safe. Verse 22, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he had trusted and divides his spoil. So Jesus comes and he finds the strong man and he engages him in conflict and he defeats him and he plunders his possessions. He plunders his kingdom. And Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so Jesus, one way of looking at the life of Jesus is he is plundering the kingdom of Satan as he walks through Galilee and Israel. Like Joshua before him, Jesus passes through the waters of the Jordan in his baptism. He goes out into the wilderness where where the Israelites were before they entered the promised land. And he spends 40 days and 40 nights fasting to mirror their 40 years of wandering. And that Jesus, he then crosses over the Jordan from the east, from the land of wilderness and sojourning, and then he wages war on our behalf against the kingdom of darkness in the land. The kingdom of the sons of disobedience, the kingdom of the prince of the power of the air, the kingdom of Satan. And as he plunders that kingdom, he turns those men and he turns those women into soldiers in his kingdom. That is his land that he is entering. Those are his people he is fighting for. Those are his lives that no man will stand in his way till he has in his possession. Jesus' life and ministry should be characterized as a series of battles, a series of war, a series of conquest that cleanses the land of the corruption of, his, of the, this kingdom of darkness and establishes his own rule and reign in its stead. Jesus is a victorious conqueror. 
if we adopt this outlook, we will see Jesus' battles, the, the battle that he fought at Capernaum, where, where he goes into the synagogue and, and teaches the word of God, and he drives out evil spirits, and he heals sick people. We see that in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 34. We'll see, at, at, we'll see a battle at, at Genesaret, Genesaret, where he provided sustenance for people. The, the, his, his future disciples, they're on a boat, and they, they're fishing all night long, which means no food for you because they got nothing. They have nothing to eat. And, and he says, just, throw, just go out a little ways and toss your net over. And, and they come up with this miraculous catch. And, and the, uh, the disciples, they're not the disciples yet. They're just fishermen. They fall and they're like, no way. And one of them jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus because he has to go meet this man who did this thing. And, and so they, he, he feeds all these people with this catch. And then he calls three of the fishermen to be fishers of men and to come follow him. Jesus plunders the kingdom of Satan and invites the people who he's liberating into his own army. At, at Nain, where he, he raises the only son of a widow, he fights this battle against the kingdom of Satan that resounds to his glory and honor and praise, both in Nain and the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countryside. As people say, look what this Jesus has done. His victory is great. Look at what he offers each and every one of us. Or there's this great battle at Galilee, and I love this battle at Galilee because there's a bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She was unclean by the presence of her illness, and I have felt unclean. And all she does is she reaches out and she touches the prayer tassel of Jesus' garment. That's all she does. She she doesn't even have to talk to Jesus. Jesus is so powerful, and his prayers are so efficacious that, that just the symbol of his prayerfulness heals people. Just the symbol that he is a man who bows before God in prayer sets a woman free from her uncleanness. And instead of that uncleanness of that woman passing onto the temple of Jesus' body. Instead of the, the principle of uncleanness in the Old Testament is anything that's unclean, if it touches anything, it defiles it. It makes it unholy. Instead of Jesus' body becoming unholy and desecrated and defiled, Jesus' body cleanses the woman. The holiness of Jesus extends out from him and cleanses unholiness. He made her well. His holiness transfers unto her. And that promises for us too. If you need holiness, Jesus will transfer his holiness unto you. And there are countless other places and instances where Jesus healed the sick, where he gave sight to the blind, where he made the lame walk, where the poor rejoiced at the good news that was testified and proclaimed to them. John 21:25 says that now there are also many other things that Jesus did which were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And how true of that now. Now 2000 years after his life and death he has done so much more 
I couldn't imagine us trying to write it all down. Jesus fought countless battles in countless places against Satan. And he watched Satan's empire crumble underneath his feet. It says he saw Satan falling like lightning. Because Jesus is powerful. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. He is a warrior like Joshua. Or rather, Joshua is a warrior like Jesus. So what? So our last and final question is, so what? Well, there's two so what's I want us to walk away from this with. Two so what's. The first is that, church, the final victory has already been won by Jesus. The final victory has already been won by Jesus. So we learn this in Ephesians, Ephesians 10, 20 through 22. Uh, starting in verse 20, it says, Christ, uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised, 